0: Literally gagging Hello and welcome to the Literally Gagging Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to finding out which fictionary member of the aristocracy is most fuckable and why. If the idea of toffs mixing with commoners makes you want to shout out loud, good! then this might not be the podcast for you. However, if you consider yourself the Duke of Dick Sucking, an Earl of Anal, a Marquess of Munchenrug, a Duchess of Quim, or a Baroness of BDSM, then you are cordially invited to continue listening. My name is Molly, and as ever, I am joined with my wonderful co-host, Hannah. How are you today, Hannah? Yeah, I'm generally okay. I am sat in basically a fort made of boxes containing
1: my belongings because I am in the middle of moving house. But I've made myself a lovely two shelves worth of books so the Zoom background looks good and then the rest of it's chaos. That's all we need is the Zoom background really isn't it? Yeah. I did, when I got this set up I did just take like a little video on my phone of showing this and then showing, so I might put that on the Instagram story at some point so people can see the mess that I'm recording in. But other than that I feel much better now I'm sat down I've got a drink and I'm not having to speak to letting agents. So I'm good.
0: That's stressful because letting, we've found recently the estate agents don't want to sell us a house and we're very confused as to
1: why estate agents are pricks man like they're all pricks i think because we sometimes like whenever i've met estate agents in a customer service point of view occasionally we've had people in who are estate agents every time you're like great this is gonna be a team of cunts and how are you
0: other than also dealing with estate agents. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm dealing with estate agents, nightmarish. I literally just went to Sainsbury's before we started recording to pick up a Bev, Bev Ragino. And after the announcement of COVID today, where, you know, we're not allowed to be with six people, but you can go to school and go to work and
1: commute. You can go to work, but you can't. It's illegal to see that many people otherwise.
0: Yeah. And I was just, Literally baffled because they're blaming it on the youths. And I was in, in sprees and I wanted to go around and point to every person over the age of 35 who wasn't wearing a mask or wearing their mask incorrectly and be like, No, you're the problem. It goes over your fucking nose. <laughs> like, don't wear it on your chin.
1: <laughs> I have not seen someone under the age of 40 with a mask under their nose. So
0: why is it our
1: fault that COVID's
0: happening still? Yeah, why is it our fault? I do hate to tell you this, babe, but we no longer count as the young people that they're talking about.
1: Yes, we do. They said 20 to 29. (laughs) We do. I know we're not. (laughs) Don't destroy my dreams like this. I'm on the brink of a breakdown. You don't need to remind me of my own mortality as well. Yeah, it's all just fucked, isn't it? It's all fucked. But we're going to have fun this week. We're... We're doing something a little bit different, aren't we? We are doing something a little bit different. So would you like to tell everyone what we're doing this
0: week? It's a little bit different, moles. So today we are covering a book called Would I Lie to the Duke by Eva Lee. We might also have just a little bit of an interview with Eva Lee coming up afterwards. Massive shout out and thank you to Becky at Mills and Boone. You've been an absolute babe, so thank you very much. Yeah, we will be chatting to the author of one of the books that we're reading. Because I believe all being well, the day that this is going
1: live on all the platforms is the day that this book is out in paperback. So if you like it, if this sounds like something fun that you want to read, definitely go to your local WH Smiths, fight an old lady, get your hands on this book because it's worth it. It's a fun one so um, definitely go and get it. What are you drinking today, Hannah? What's calming your nerves? So obviously because we're in the process of trying to pack everything, we literally went through all our food and was like what are we packing? What are we intending to eat? So I'm drinking the the last of my Merrywen strawberry gin with a little bit of tonic water and quite a lot of squash just to get it down
0: get it down yeah and what are you what are you drinking i've got a sauvignon blanc a dark horse sauvignon blanc from california which is interesting because eva's from california she writes oh, in california look, it's, all, it's light. like <laughs> we we this because we really didn't <laughs> so enough with that should we just dive in should we get into it i think we should just absolutely go for it okay so just a little bit on eva because obviously we're going to be talking to her. We don't want to, you know, tell her life story for her. Eva Lee is a romance writer who focuses mostly on the Regency era, but she also writes adventure novels as Zoe Archer. Her novels are always filled with kick-ass women and very sultry men. She lives in Central California with her husband Nico Rosso, who also writes erotic novels, but they tend to be more sci-fi based. Would I Lie to the Duke is Lee's second novel in the Union of Rake series, which follow the love lives of what can only be described as the Regency Etonian Breakfast Club. The Union of Rake series are all inspired by 80s films and Would I Lie to the Duke was loosely based on Working Girl. Would I Lie to the Duke is currently available to download and you can purchase a copy from your local bookstore from Thursday the 17th of September. What did you think of this book? it was so
1: fun and just up top as well so much spicier than i expected a mills and boone book to be
0: oh my god the spicy levels it is like nando's hot up in here it's not oh absolutely it's not any of this lime shit we were impressed
1: by the last mills and boone and thought that was spicy because as far as my interpretation of mills and boone goes that was pretty sexy this is like full on and it was hot so we may well we may well do that thing where we just where we just like gave lovingly at pages of the book and don't actually read any of it to you because it feels when it's sexy it actually feels like sort of inappropriate to be reading it because I'm like this is really sexy. Whereas when we're taking the piss out of it we're like
0: Be prepared for long silences. Yeah what did you think? Did you have a fun time with the Duke? I really liked it I had a fun time with the Duke. I really enjoy learning more about the aristocracy each time we read these novels and knowing what kind of servant's house I could work in or who I'd be paying my taxed to was a poor lonely farmer's wife. I think it makes it better if your duke is sexier that you're paying taxes to. I feel like if the duke in this book
1: was the duke I was paying my
0: taxes to I think I'd be okay
1: with it. He is living like this crazy hedonistic lifestyle and I'm like you know what I'm happy to finance this. <laughs> you take my money Noel because you seem like an absolute lad. I'm also super into like the whole union of rakes thing. I was literally like reading it as like, this is breakfast club and I'm here for it. So cute.
0: So we actually open up the story of on the breakfast club. It's Eton College, 1797. And Null, the, the young duke himself, he's, you know, heir to be duke. He's spoiled. Everyone like panders to him because, you know, he's a fucking duke. And he doesn't understand why he's in detention for instigating some kids spilling ink on the teacher's clothing whilst it was out to dry. In this detention, he meets a a couple of other lads. You've got the Duke himself, who is what we'll call the rich one. You've got Curtis, who I think is the rough one because he looks at him and goes, well, I know why you're here. McCameron, who is the sporty one. Holloway, who is the nerd. And Roe, who I've just put down as wild card I don't know. <laughs> We don't know what Rose is about yet. Yeah. These are who these people are. They all become friends because they won't pander to the Duke's needs. They're going to tell the Duke what life is really like. That's how their friendship is solidified. I like the bit as well where he's like, all I did was like put some ink on teacher's clothing. And then my camera goes, yeah, do you know how much new clothing costs? Three months wages. And then Duke's like, three months wages. That's nothing. And everyone's like... And they're like, to normal people, that's <laughs> really <rude>. fucking <laughs> expensive.
1: You prick. Stop being a douchebag. And I think that really sets up really nicely because one of the things, much to my chagrin, because obviously I hate men, is men being pals makes my heart really happy. And I think there's very much these lads all the way through the book, they very much like, they take the piss out of each other and they have this like very banter relationship but you can tell they proper love each other and it's nice to see where that started and how that like mutual
0: respect was born before we go in and see them as adults. Yeah, you see the formation. So then the real story starts in Wiltshire, in 1817 and we open up on our heroine jess Miguel. jess is currently a lady's maid and oh, no, a lady's maid an assistant we'll go with assistant she's assistant to the lady catherton jess we learn very quickly is she's smart she's organized she's good at a
1: job she's very very good at her job but she's also got more about her than being a good maid she's really smart she spends her free time reading the financial papers she has aspirations bigger than being someone's maid
0: and most importantly she learned that to be successful you have to lose your regional accent yes unfortunately we all know <laughs> jessie's sister pops along we then learned that jessie's parents are dead there is a family farm it's a soap making farm i don't know i guess it makes sense that soaps made on a farm yeah because they like they have their own bees and they use
1: the honey from the bees to make this soap i don't know a great deal about how soaps made made from from made from bees apparently on a farm in wiltshire that's all you need to know Jess and her sister Cynthia and her brother Fred have been running the farm by themselves since their parents died but there was a terrible fire which has decimated like all of their equipment and they're basically like hitting rock bottom with this business. It means if they fuck the business basically they're going to lose the farm and so obviously they don't want to happen.
0: we also learn that jess is going on the continent with lady catherton and she is leaving a day early to go to london to set up the london house for lady catherton then lady catherton will come up and they'll depart touring the great sights of europe so jess knows that she's got sort of like a day to try and fix it and she says tomorrow miguel and miguel conquers london i'll pound on every bond street shopkeeper's door and introduce them to the wonders of our honey soap she's a girl with a plan it's a great plan it's a good plan we respect. Meanwhile, we cut to an adult, Noel, aka, should we call him Noel or should we call him Duke or should we call him Duke Noel? I feel like
1: we've set up now that the Duke's first name is Noel and whatever we call him after this, you'll know who he is.
0: Noel is currently in a boxing ring fighting with McCameron from the Union of Rakes and he says that he is, he's getting his exercise in for the week because after this, he will be going to the bazaar where be sat on his ass, and one of his friends goes what's the bazaar so the bazaar is five days where select people of genteel birth and deep coffers gather at the marquess of trask's home to discuss investment opportunities trask brings in a highly curated group of ambitious men and a few women of business who seek capital to fund the growth of their enterprises it's dragon's den it's dragon's den <laughs> it's, it's dragon's den <laughs> dragon's den so it's so it's rich people dragon's den yeah his pals are a bit like why are you going you already own half the land in england and your best pal is the lord of liverpool like we're meant to know who the lord of liverpool is hannah do you know who the lord of liverpool is i probably should i don't think i do was were they not
1: talking about him was he not the prime minister oh maybe he is the prime minister that makes more sense i'm gonna check no he was the prime minister from 1812 to 1827, which means that he was the person who was responsible for like handling the Peterloo massacre. He was the prime minister when that happened. Just a little, just a bit of like local, local colour for us. No one else cares about that. So basically they're like, Duke, you're pals with the prime minister. You don't need to invest in things surely. But
0: he does, he wants to. It's also, in a sense, his civil duty as he sees it, because as a duke, he's responsible at this time for the futurement, the betterment of the country. So if he can invest in the right things, it means that technologies can progress. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, lovely.
1: And that's kind of the setup for the whole book now, because there's a lot in this book which we are going to skim, which is businessy, because we're not a business podcast, in case you noticed. So she wants to get investors for her soap somehow, and he is a person who
0: is an investor. Shenanigans ensue. this is your setup. After this, we cut to Jess. She is on Bond Street. She's about to enter Daly's Emporium, which I think is like a fancy soap shop. And she goes in and Mr. Daly is well impressed with her soap, but he's like, can't buy it because you're asking me to put in capital. We don't do that. We're a soap shop. I've got to feed my kids too. It's not all about you and your soap. He's like, honey, I work in retail. Like, I'm not here to just give you money. (laughs) I don't have the cash to give you money. And he sort of says that you need an aristocratic recommendation and she's like we'll see about that and she's proved wrong because she goes up and down all of Bond Street and gets pretty much the same rejection from everybody and she's sat on the floor she's sad she doesn't know what's going on and all of a sudden she hears this big old crowd everyone's screaming your grace your grace your grace and then here he is we get our first descriptions of the duke some men possessed a quiet handsomeness that stole upon you gradually it took a look and then another look before you could appreciate the angle of his jaw and the shape of his lips. He felt comfortable around a chap like that, as if easing into warm bathwater. Not this man. There was nothing subtle about his looks. He was spectacularly handsome, so much that Jess felt faintly annoyed, as if he made himself beautiful strictly to let everyone know how good life was to him. He possessed a faultless jawline and his lips were ripe as summer fruit one had to bite. His nose was perfectly proportioned to his masculine face and thick dark eyebrows arched above, equally dark eyes that shone with intellect and a flash of wicked wit he didn't have the height of a colossus but he did have a long lean body that surely made his tailor weep with gratitude to have such an impeccable canvas to display the exquisitely fitted clothing he now wore hot Hot. (laughs) hot Stuff.
1: I feel like I can't really add anything to that. I feel like that description is hot.
0: No, that was it. He's
1: hot. That's all you need to know. And they end up having a conversation because the Duke is walking with some men, his business people and they are discussing whether or not they should make an investment in someone called buxton and his silver plate manufacturing the business people are trying to tell him that maybe it's a good thing to invest in and he's like i'm not really sure and she chips in because as we've learned obviously she knows her stuff she reads the financial papers this is something she is kind of well versed in and she says the duke is correct. jess didn't realise she'd spoken the words aloud until the duke and his cronies all stopped mid-stride and turned towards her. and they're like sorry hon who are you? like why do you think you get an opinion on this? and she was like because i'm right and you don't know what you're talking about. and they have this big business chat which is very impressive. i don't really know. and she
0: she sasses the pants off of them
1: business chat wise. she does. and like this was one of the first things. there's quite a lot in this book and as i think molly said in the intro like eva is well known for having like strong women in her books and this is re really, obviously we already get that from Jess but you really get a sense of their speaking and she says she spoke as calmly as possible since any hint of feeling in her voice would immediately be seized upon by the men as proof that she was overly emotional and it's like yep that's that's how it works that's how these things work so she has to be very calm and she's like I know what I'm talking about and the Duke's just kind of like they're making eyes they're having a little they're having a little moment over this like business chat that clearly he's impressed that she knows so much he
0: describes her as the veritable hawk amongst the doves. So it's becomes their little nicknames for each other. It's she's a hawk, he's a wolf. Can I make it Uh, Molly's favourite song? And that's it, they're
1: both they're both hunters, they're both after their prey, they're both living this money life.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could also describe sociopaths that way, but in this case we're gonna say that it's romance We're gonna go with smart business. (laughs)
1: and then he gets swept away by this crowd, and she's like, oh, okay, cool, that was a nice chat, but, like, I've still fucked my business, what am I gonna do? And she's kind of a bit, like, pissed off, and then she gets home, and there's a letter from Lady Catherton, who is her boss, who says that due to an unfortunate incident, she has injured her ankle, and she won't be able to go to the continent in a day, which is when they were meant to be going, she'll is going to be away from London for two weeks. So basically, hold down the fort in London for a couple of weeks until I'm back. And then when I can walk, we'll go on holiday.
0: I liked as well. It says, uh, I have enclosed a pound to cover any expenses you might incur during this time. But I urge frugality and I anticipate receiving the remaining balance when I do finally arrive in London. It's like, babe, come on.
1: Yeah, so it's like, you're here for two weeks. I've left you some money, but I won't change. <laughs> this is sort of a bit of a, a lifeline for Jess. Because today had been a bit of a washout and she was feeling like very stressed and obviously felt like she'd fucked it she didn't have any more time but she's just been handed two more weeks basically and then she sees in the newspaper that in two days time the annual convocation of investors known to its intimates as the bazaar will commence at the marquess of trask's london resident and she's like cool people imply to be on the dragons like years in advance but she's like i will sneak my way in i have to i have no other choice she's like i'm well witty people love me i'll just knock on the door um they'll let me in why wouldn't they and she borrows one of her boss's dresses. she's like, i look the part. i've got the chat. Let's go for
0: it. and she turns up on the day and she sees someone else who had exactly the same plan as her and he basically gets thrown out on his arse. so she's like, ah shit. plan a doesn't work. so she switches to plan b in which she knocks on the door. And she pretends to be someone who is coming to be one of the dragons in the dragon's den of Regency England. He's like, no, you're not. And she's like, yes, I am. I am. I am Lady Whitfield and I am a widow. And because she studied the book of aristocracy, she can be like, oh, my cousin went to Eton with your uncle. They sort of bond over that and then the duke comes in. He's like, ah, oh, look, it's the hawk of Bond Street. Get your ass in here, girl. And she trots past. The thing that I really like about this obviously that's that kind of, like, strong
1: woman, sexy enemies, not enemies to lovers quite, but she was like, when she first meets him, she's like, it kind of pisses me off that he's so sexy. That's not fair. And then she's a little bit like, cool, so I have this under control and now you've just swept in and I could have done this. And you're like, no, you couldn't babe. Like, he's really throwing you a bone there. And she's brought in, she's introduced to the people, there are women there. There's only two of them, but there's there's some, that's nice. She's introduced to Lady Farris. And for both of them, it's the first year that they've attended. And they just had the thing, I mean, we all know that my favourite thing about any of these books is banter. And they have this conversation where Lady Farris is like, oh, thank goodness, I'm not the only virgin here. And all the men are a bit uncomfortable. And um, Jess says, I promise I will make our first time gentle and respectful. Not too gentle and respectful, I hope. Or else I might find myself nodding off. And the host is like, ladies, this is a business gathering. Please rein it in stop talking about
0: your virginities
1: this instance yeah and i was like cute love that love gals, gals, gals being pals, pals.
0: having a bit of banter making all the men uncomfortable my favorite kind so they all have to sit down whilst they're given the itinerary jess is sat on a sofa and some guy sits next to her and the duke is like up, 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 up. no 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 i sit there that's where i sit not you and he's like but 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 and the duke's like ah I'm a joke. They're like having a little flirt on the sofa and she says the sofa was not very big and while she'd met man of larger stature than his grace, he exuded an animal energy that seemed to fill the space between them. He radiated heat and within moments of being seated beside him, she was warm and acutely aware of her own body.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's gonna be a lot of this because as I say, we will skim the business chat because we are not business people and it's basically, it's Dragon's Den, there's lots of people pitching different things and then there's little moments of like banter in between and so there is a lot of them making eyes at each other and doing a bit of sp- and like verbal sparring which we love on this podcast and be- being like very aware of where each other is in the room and who they're talking to and that sort of thing it's very cute
0: That's very nice. There's more business chat and then the Duke and Jess are finally alone together. She's sort of making fun of him in a sense because he is a notorious rake. So a rake at the time, because I had to Google this, is sort of like a Jack the Lad, a rich bachelor who can go out and do and bang whatever he wants she's um have a new go at him for being a rake and he like confides in her and says i will tell you something for you no one knows about me and she's like we well, can whisper it if you want come close to my ear and talk dirty in it he says rakehood is diverting but it doesn't nourish my soul and she's like what is it you speak and he said i haven't formulated the question so i cannot know the answer but he's he's it's not all
1: it's cracked up to be he's in his mid-thirties He's been living the high life for quite a long time um, But he's maybe finding that it's starting to wear a little bit thin but he doesn't really know any other life, really. And one of the big things that we get from this book is the idea that she is one of the only people who just talks to him like a person and is interested in what he's doing and isn't just out for what she can get from him. And that's why he likes her. She's not trying to fleece him for any money. She's not really trying to shag him. I think that's part of it as well, is that she is trying to take it slow and she's trying to hold herself like back from him.
0: If she shags him, she knows that there's deception because she wants him to invest in her business. She's like when
1: there may welcome a point where this all comes out she's like i can't keep this up forever and i don't want him to think that i just shagged him to get his money because that's not cool
0: so we enter upon day two of dragon's den slash the bazaar and everyone's absolutely fucking buzzing one of the ladies with the best cake shops in all of london is coming in and then Nulls like uh, 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 uh. Guess what, bitches? I've arranged for us to go to Catton's today. And we're all gonna go over there and we're gonna have a great time. So he's
1: organised like a little field trip for them basically. And it very much kind of comes out when they have a bit of a chat that he's done it to impress Jess. That's the reason he's pulled his ducal strings and been like, we're gonna go there. She's gonna do us a tasting. We're gonna like have the best time. And she kind of says like, okay, cool. That's nice. But I'd rather you didn't just make decisions for me. Really, like you don't have to do this to impress me. And I would rather you involved me in these decisions because she is a
0: strong, independent lady. It's also that he didn't tell the guy who was hosting it either. You need to let people know these things. If you're gonna pull out this magic surprise, absolutely fine. If someone else has already got a plan in place, the human courtesy is to tell them that that's happening. I think this is
1: the point at which, particularly, that he really sees her as like one of the union of rakes who are the only people who don't take his shit, basically, because she's like, this isn't how normal people do things. Please be a normal person and just give people some common respect. And he's like, oh wow, yeah, no, maybe I should do
0: that. He says, I was being rather autocratic, wasn't I? And she says, rather. He says, admitting fault is not something that I've practiced. Today I'll amend that. My apologies, my lady. Moving forward, I'll try not to be an overbearing ass. And then he says, you could voice some objection to the use of my term overbearing ass. And she's like, I could, but I shut." <laughs> Bit of banter. Love So just like any good night out, they're deciding who's going to go in what taxi and who's going to pay the taxi fare when they get there, who's going to owe someone a drink. They decide that all the ladies are going to sit together. The oldest of them is Lady Haig. And she says, only if you promise not to talk about men. And Lady Ferris says, gracious no. There is many more interesting things to discuss. What do you think? Jess says, my early years were quite rustic and experiences taught me to prefer the company of goats over a carriage full of men. Less bleating with the goats, Lady Farris winks. So they're all like, they're in man bants. Love it. That's my favourite, like, man-hating bants is the best kind. And the Duke's a bit like, come on, lady, surely for me, you can make an exception and let me ride with you. And they're like, absolutely not. Lady Hake, who's the sort of older one, that what I would imagine is the Meryl Streep of the widows, is like, well, we can make a, an exception if you're inclined to discuss, you know, men. And Jess says something about did you know that the goats can belch? So they're like, "Ugh, I guess we'll have to talk about goats and shit. The Duke is like, "Uh, can I come in? And she's like, no, fuck off, go on. And he's like, no one would mistake you for a woman. You've got half a day's beard growth and smell of tobacco. And he says, so does my great aunt Lucretta. Ah, ah, ah. I I love it. I love it when you make fun of great
1: old aunts. I love the bit as well when he he goes off, he leaves into to it. And Lady Farris goes, we're not discussing men, but if we were, I'd say it's fortunate that his grace is, is a duke. Men like him without the benefit of a title usually wind up as women's hired lovers, but their clients are always satisfied. Funny, love it. They're like, he's, he's a fucking fuck boy, but he's a duke so he can do it. Whereas if he was just a common person, he'd just be a, a massive slag. <laughs> so they go for the cakes and that's fun. They're having fun with the cakes.
0: They're having a great time. Oh, we learned that Jess had a fiancé called Oliver and they slept with each other once and it wasn't great. And then she became too preoccupied with the business for men. I think as well because it
1: shows that having sex with the Duke is not like the first time she's ever been touched. Like she's had her own life before this.
0: But she's too busy. She's too busy for a man. She's too busy for a man. They get through the shop and it oh, it smells like gorgeous cakes and deliciousness all around them. But she's so close to the Duke that she can smell smell him. She's got a very cute nose after all these years of doing soap. And she says, despite the shop's aromas of sugar and butter, having the Duke so close by filled her senses with this delicious scent, bergamot, apple, with just a hint of moss-covered oak. Her awareness was the unfortunate byproduct of years she spent cultivating a discerning nose. So she's like getting those sexy pheromones in, giving him a big snifferoo. And they all sit down and they have some cake. It's really nice. Like the Duke takes off his glove so he can sample these cakes and Jess is like, she can't focus on the presentation because she's been so like, ah oh, the lady's cake shop, she's a woman in business, I want to be a woman in business so I'm going to sit, I'm going to fucking learn, I'm going to absorb from someone who knows more than me and I can learn from but as every good woman does she gets waylaid by the hand of a duke <laughs> and she, she has some cake, she sniffs a duke, she gets very distracted she's like, it doesn't have calluses or cuts but it seems quite capable and strong would it be delicate or rough against her? skin a shame you'll never discover that she mentally snarled at herself they start eating they're talking more business thing and everyone's like ah, blah, 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 and she's got some crumbs on her face and the duke reached over and tried to wipe them away and it says she held very still his hand brushed the corner of her mouth she felt the texture of his skin its heat the softness of her own flesh against it turn your head her body demanded just a little so you can draw his finger into your mouth he'll taste of green earth and sugar he'll be warm so warm. The Duke, once again, being the ass that he is, has made special arrangements for his gentlemen's club in Belgravia, and the ladies are a bit like, we're not allowed in there he's a bit like, ah, turns out all this ducal influence and money means that I can get you in there. Jess is a bit like, eyebrow raised, like, come on now, you've already made one thing. And he says, this is all organised before you realise the error of your ways. But the error of one of my many ways. I'm rather fond of my others. <laughs> so they go to lunch and she, she realises this is her time to bring up the soap factory. So she's like looking for a hanky, pulls out a soap wrapper and says to one of the dudes next to her, like, oh my god this is the best soap ever you should definitely get your butler to get your wife some because it's a present like feel how smooth my arm is go and get this shit <laughs> smell my hands i smell like honey don't you want your wife to smell like this too and he's like yeah okay that's a that's a good idea and they talk a lot about the importance of bathing because beau brummel who was the,
1: the clothes man like the t- he was like savile row vibes i think um was very vocal about the importance of bathing and someone's like to do it daily and use hot water over the entire body and one of the lords is like, who has time for that and the is like many people tr- like trust to believe most people have got time to have a shower every day and so this is one of the things is that obviously there would have been a time where bathing every day maybe wasn't as it wasn't the thing to do but it's becoming more and more popular and so they're talking about how having shares in soap is probably quite a good idea is like a growing business and she's really being like i have to be tread very lightly here i have to make everyone think it's their idea i can't just be like oh my god guys invest in this soap crazy. Who's Whose soap is this? Whose soap is this? Oh my god, I didn't even know this was here. Didn't even, is this mine? Oh my god, who knew that it was my company? She has to be very, very just peppering it in and being like, oh, I like this soap. Maybe you would like this soap. And then she's like, leave it alone. Like, you've planted
0: the idea, now you leave it alone. They've had lunch. The Duke pulls Jess away and he's like, funny, before I knew you liked to be asked how to do things, I was gonna tell you to have dinner with me tonight. But I guess I'll ask you to have dinner with me tonight. She's a bit like, maybe we should slow this the f down it's not a long term no but it's a short term no and he's like rejection i just i've never been rejected before what does he do how do you get over rejection pints with the lads pints with the lads you're gonna have pints with the lads
1: you get the union together the union of rakes you go for a bev
0: they're in a shitty pub they're all chatting and they're a bit like oh well well what what are you doing here i thought you'd be off bedding some wench and he's like um, um and they're like oh my days did she say no did someone refuse the great juke and he's like no didn't even ask they didn't even want to go for dinner with her like it's fine and they're like "Eh." <laughs> he's like oh, why don't you just like start arm wrestling or something so they do and <laughs> um, i thought end of the
1: chapter he's like everyone there's there's an arm wrestle and everyone's like oh my god what and then he's like cool
0: no one's thinking about me anymore i love the fact that it's so apparently difficult like as we've posted some on twitter of people who find men who have written women and one of them was like he thought that the penis opened up the vagina like a capri sun for the (laughs) first time you know that It's interesting to see how I feel a woman writes what a group of men to me are like. I don't have a a lot of straight male friends, but the ones I have seen in the past, I think this is similar. Yeah,
1: that's the thing is like, we obviously spend a lot of time being like, men don't know how to write women with nuance. And she's been like, we're having a pint, we're doing an arm wrestle. And we're like, you know what? That seems legit to me. Like, fine.
0: We go for another day at the bazaar. Jess, she asked the guy about the soap. She's like, oh my days, did you ever find that? So, did your wife enjoy the gift and he's like huh? oh yeah that soap it turns out you can only get it in like somewhere in the country and she's like Wiltshire. you can only get it in wiltshire i've heard i'm um, oh, crazy i think i've got a feeling it might be wiltshire <laughs> she's like trying to rally people to invest in small businesses because they've heard that there's been a fire at this place and everyone's unwilling to invest because it needs more capital put into it before they'll see a return and she's a bit like but isn't it better than Acts of God did this than their ignorance bad management someone's, yeah yeah bad at managing their company they're gonna go bankrupt all the time whereas act of god is, is something that you can't explain away and it
1: sparks a bit of a conversation about what's worthwhile investment and all this kind of stuff so she's getting people thinking about it
0: and then we get another person coming in who essentially i'm just gonna call it as regency twitter we're not gonna go into it but basically a bird flies at her face and she, the duke has to like help oh she goes because she's from the country everyone's having a shit fit that this bird's spinning around and it lands on a bookcase up high so she's like fuck you all i'm from the country i'll get this bird she jumps up to get it and then it flies in her face which knocks her backwards and the duke just happens to catch her in his big arms and she says if he lowered his head just a tiny bit more if she rose up on her toes a fraction they would kiss all she did know was that she clung to him while she had a firm grip on the dip of her waist and their mouths were quite quite close (sighs) tension.
1: and then everyone's like, the bird! the bird! and then it gets ruined. the sexy moment gets ruined.
0: everyone's had a bit of fun with the bird and they decide they're gonna go to the docks to see this next presentation. which is essentially an early form of a fire station. it's like a sprinkler
1: system you can install in your factory. so they were like, if there is a fire not everything gets fucked but in order to demonstrate it they have to do a fire and jess gets really triggered because obviously like her business went on fire and so she's like having a panic so the duke takes her outside, gives her his coat, is like being cute boy looking after her when she was having a bit of
0: a panic. he's a bit like, oh don't worry no one saw us, no one's gonna gossip and she's like, no it's not that, i don't like people seeing me vulnerable. he's a bit like, okay i'll let you know what makes me vulnerable. Oh, they share they exchange first names at this point. We should say saucy so we'll back in the day. So she's like, "My name is Jessica." Some kids call me a slut. <laughs> um, and the Noel's like, "I'm a teacher. That's for sure." Sorry, I'll <laughs> stop singing something like that. In a world, a of, world crazy of crazy kids. kids. <laughs> I mean, we'll
1: probably leave that in if you don't get the reference, I'm not going to explain it.
0: And and then he's a bit like, "Oh, do you know what makes me scared?" And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Mice." And rats. Like proper, proper scared of mice. And she's like, okay. There's a big one over there. <laughs> Let's go back inside. Uh, and then he's like, oh, will you come to Vauxhall with me tonight? As we've learned, Vauxhall is apparently the place that you take seedy romance tours. Your sexy
1: assignations. Because Vauxhall is where this book gets spicy. This is where it kicks off.
0: She's like, oh, I'll come to Vauxhall if we're not alone. And he's like, cool, I'll invite fucking everyone. So he does and then they all go on a little Trist to voxel i still
1: don't super know what voxel is but i think from this i got a better idea of it because last time it just seemed to be like a, a sexy party and this time it seemed to be a bit more like an event like a carnival yeah because there were like poor people there and there were people there with their families and there were rich ladies there with their servants but then there's obviously just the proper rich people like them who are like gonna go for dinner and watch the fireworks but it seems to be like there's like a garden it's all lit up with lanterns there's lots of people seems fun seems like a fun time um so they go to boxall and they have some food and they're having a chat about their favorite books and then they're going to watch the fireworks together and they go is it called the dark walk which is a place for assignations
0: they go through there until they get to a good point to view the fireworks and um, she's like oh it's a it's a nice spot that we've uh, we've got here it's lovely and there's a little pond and she like looks down and then she sees a garter at her feet and she's like is this why you brought me here? And he said, you found me out. I'm a trophy hunter, collecting garters and drawers. I keep them in a locked cabinet beside my bed, and late at night I take them out and groan delightfully, as so I throw them in the air like rake leaves. And She's a bit like, ugh, she's like scraping it off her foot with a stick, and she's like, I have little desire to touch a stranger's
1: underclothes. And he says, then you deny yourself one of life's greatest enjoyments.
0: I feel like this is the oldie worldie equivalent if like, the other day I was just in the decathlon, I was going to decathlon and I came out and in the decathlon car park I found Found a used condom. And I was like, who's having sex in the decathlon car park? <laughs> I feel this is the equivalent. Yeah.
1: It's the equivalent of, yeah, just fine. You're like, someone's been up to no good here. And so they're watching the fireworks and they're lovely. And she's like, I said I wanted to move slow, but I didn't want to like come to a dead stop. You are allowed to, to make a move.
0: She says, I want to kiss you and I hope you want to kiss me. And he's like, I do not very much want to kiss you. And she's like, oh, and he says, I know need to kiss you
1: and then that's the end of a chapter so it's like oh hot so then they start kissing and it's hot it's fit it's really hot and they're like swaying together and her breath is coming in shallow rasps and he's cut the back of her head there's quite a lot of nipple play which i didn't necessarily
0: expect in this context yeah and him growling and like the rumbling and the growling as he's described to doing it in her ear i was like (laughs) ha 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 hot. It's really hot. He drags his lips to scratch his teeth along
1: her neck. Uh, He would devour her. She dug her nails into his back and she's
0: like, yes, more. He's playing with her nips. The stroke of her tongue against his course through his entire body, lighting torches in his muscles, his cock. He's getting hard. He's getting hard. Her
1: nipples are getting hard as well. And again, it's like they're having like a really sexy time and then kind of someone walks past and she's like, oh, and they'll get all, they come out of the moment. And she's like, we can't do this here. I really want to, but obviously we can't. Her gaze skimmed down his body and her eyes eyes widened to see the length of his cock pressed snug in his breeches and i was like so you don't get that in most mills and boone you don't get it's just got a big old erection at the party like <laughs> that's what i that's realistic massive chub on at the fireworks like yeah i mean and then he like helps her fix her hair because obviously he's been all up in her hair and she's like how do you know how to do this do you often help your lovers reassemble themselves when they rise from your bed and it's because
0: he had two sisters and he used to look after his sisters Which is cute because his nanny was an alcoholic, so. (laughs) Someone had to do it. He also is a bit like, oh shit, I've, I've pushed you too far. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone as far as to tweak your nips when we're in public. He said, I've pushed you too far. I've made you do things you didn't want to do. And she says, you must not know me at all. If you believe anyone could make me do something I did not want to do myself. Very good, I like that. They all go home and we get to the next day of the bazaar. There's like sexual friction between them. They don't know how to act in front of each other in public because obviously they've shared this big old snog but they can't be together in public in front of the bazaar so it's a bit awkward. There's more business chat and then eventually Jess tells the Duke that she's going to the continent so she's not going to be there for the season. Yeah, basically as soon as the bazaar's over she's like, that'll be it because I have to leave. So then they go for final sort of night dinner at Thor's Trask's, the Marquis of Trask, who's holding this whole thing. She's a bit sad because she's a bit like, oh man, tomorrow's the last day, I'm gonna see him. I don't really know what to do. And she's like, I need some air. So she goes to his conservatory because she's from the country. Apparently she can start, like find a conservatory. And yeah, she was like, because
1: she's in the country, she's like, I just wanted to be like near some plants. So I'm going to sit as close to the... Outside as I can sit. And she's on like a stone bench being feeling sorry for herself. And he comes to find her because she's not come back. And she's like, Cool, so remember that thing about leaving people alone? I came out here because I wanted to be alone.
0: And they're like, called go then. And she's like, No, please, I've changed my mind, please don't go. She sat on a stone bench, I think, and he's on his knees in front of her. They kiss again, and it is very, very hot because each kiss shot straight to
1: his cock. He was now so hard it verged on painful but it was the kind of pain he welcomed making him feel alive and fully present
0: he's he's once again gone he's a nipple man Mm -hmm. he's gone to the nipples her nipples were drawn into firm points and she moaned when he stroked them through her bodice then her bare flesh as he dipped his hand beneath the neckline of her gown softly he pinched her nipples harder she said god yes when he did as she demanded more he growled give me more commands and we're learning that the Duke likes to be told what to do in the boudoir. This is the first time anyone's ever given him instructions and he's not been in control.
1: Absolutely. And he's like, it's the first time like since he's met her, he's like, oh, like she's really smart and like clearly knows what she wants and I want to give her what she wants. He was too inflamed to be shocked by this sudden need. It's something he's never really come across before, but he's like, tell me, tell me what to do, I'll do it.
0: And she does. She says, touch me. He says, where? And she said, My. She swallowed hard. <gasps> I want your hand on my pussy. He jolted with arousal. You want me to make you come? do it, she gasped. She dug her fingernails into his back, sharpening his need even more. Yes, Jess. Molten lust poured through him at his eager submission. He gathered up her skirts, the silk covering his forearms, as he delved beneath them to find the stocking-clad flesh just above her knees. He went past her garters and cursed roughly when he reached her bare thighs. So fucking soft. Sorry, I don't
1: know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that voice was at the end. But he like goes into her drawers and his hand shook as he touched the silken wet folds of her a quim which obviously we've had quim before as a as a sexy word. She shuddered with a sound of ecstasy as he delved into her. He caressed her outer lips, then went deeper, gliding along her inner lips. He circled her opening before stroking up to her clitoris and she rewarded him with a moan. Eagerly, reverently, he learned her intimate geography. What made her sigh? What made her cry out? What stole her breath? I'm not going to read all of it because there's quite a lot of it.
0: No, it's, and it is very hot. Like, go and read this fingering scene. If the fingering, it
1: lasts a while. And it, I think she says later, like, he made her come so many times that she, like, could not remember how many times she'd come it's just going and going and going and that is Sexy as fuck.
0: You know when you're having sex and your clip becomes too sensitive, and if anyone touches it, you're like, Can you just get the fuck off? Like, you're just like, Ah, it makes me feel weird. You're like, This was really, really, really fun. And then suddenly you hit a point where you're like, No, 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 we're done. We're done now. And she gets to that point. She's like, No, 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 no. And he says, Thank you. And she's like, Well, shouldn't I be thanking you? And he's like, You've given me a gift. That I've never. I'm not used to serving like this on my knees, wanting a lover to tell me what to do with everyone else. I'm in command. But having you you hold the reins feels right and she says i hope i was sufficiently demanding which she absolutely was
1: and then she's like what about you like obviously you haven't and he says we've been gone too long i'll tend to myself later damnation she said i like picturing that you pleasuring yourself then think of that tonight as you're lying in your own bed think of me with my hand around my cock wishing it was your hand your mouth your pussy it's like we even in like the the modern sexy books we've had you don't get a lot of that so like into it very into it good work either. And then they get up and and Lady Farris comes through. And so she pushes him behind a pot plant and it says it didn't fully conceal him but hopefully the shadows would do the rest and then lady faris is like jess your grace behind the plant and he's like yes hello and um lady Farris basically says she's not gonna tell anyone because some men wagered on who would be the first to bed me after i came out of mourning obviously they all think she's a widow a friend came to my aid fortunately but i never want another woman's body to be the target of speculation and gossip so she is like doing a sister a solid she's like no one needs to know it's no one's business what you're doing behind these plants
0: their final day at the bazaar. And Jess in her head is like, oh man, I really need to tell him. How do I tell him when he made me come like a goddess? It's so, it's so Such harsh. A to be <laughs> in. Such- and they have more soap chat and after the soap chat they decide that it's only fair that they go and visit the farm and Noel's like well we could go we could go and see
1: and then if we want to invest we can do that we'll all have a little trip we'll go I happen to have a stately home just down the road from the farm so we'll go there he's kind of like and you're coming and you're coming and obviously Jess you're gonna come because you're it's your thing and she kind of in her head is going get like yeah yeah yeah." and then she's like okay I can write to my sister I can get her to make these arrangements blah, 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 blah. and then afterwards he's like i do appreciate i kind of did that thing where i push you into stuff and she's like no it's fine we're going for a trip to his country estate
0: they get to the Carford estate after their long old trip because i imagine in a horse and buggy that's gotta take at least eight hours to get to wilshire and so some of the people are like i need to rest some people are like i need a tour so jess is one of the people that goes on this tour it's a wonderful house and the duke is really happy that she loves this place because for him it was more like his childhood home where he had the best memories as opposed to his other estates, which are more glamorous, one would say, but they might not be as full of memories. Sentimental the Yeah, sentimental, that's the word. Yeah. And she's been put into the the Gillyford room, the Lilliford room, something like that, which is the nicest room in the whole thing. And she's a bit worried and he's like, no, 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 don't worry. It is the furthest away from my bedroom that it could possibly be. Because he's
1: like, I picked your room specially for you. And she was like oh and he's like no just because it's a really nice room and i thought you'd like it it's nothing untoward and during this his pals turn up the union of rakes arrive basically on mass and jess is kind of surprised because servant comes and is like i've got a message for you Uh, and basically the message is like tell the tough bastard that we're desperate for his company and he's like tell those sodding buffoons that they can't just turn off my place in the country whenever they want to. And Jess is like, who are these people who speak to you so rudely? And he's like, oh, they're my friends fine come and meet my friends they're, they're actually my pals and he introduces her to them and he's like oh this is my pal this and she's like oh my god like you're super famous and then he's like and this one he's like oh my god you're super famous like they're all really successful in their own feels like one's a lawyer one's a political writer one's a soldier
0: i feel like if it's eaten and you're not successful that's something that's really heavily on you
1: yeah <laughs> you've absolutely fucked it like you've had so many opportunities and somehow you're still just a normal person like no you don't have that option and one thing which comes up jess is like observing this group dynamic and they're all having a bit of a banter and he's like oh you can stay but there's not really that many rooms so two of you are gonna have to share a room and it seems like curtis is pretty keen to share a room with roe and they're talking about sort of you know a heartbreak or relationships or whatever just kind of joking and she's like is it just me or does he keep looking at his, his pal? And obviously, cannot confirm or deny, we will need to ask about that. They have a wonderful dinner. And at one point, McCameron comes over to Noel and is like, so she's the one who turned you down? And he's like, no, I don't know what you mean. Um, and he's like, obviously, you are watching her like you're always aware of her. And the phrase that Noel uses, which honestly i was like i think this is one of the hottest things i've ever read in a book was he was like say it is her that i fancy like hypothetically it's her i'd tear the fucking world apart for a chance to share her bed i want someone to say that about me ha. and he's like you probably don't need to do that because she's definitely into it as well
0: um so they're having dinner she's like really into these buttered artichokes she's like oh matt these are the best things i've ever fucking eaten in my whole life he just says for the first time he resented the presence of the union hell he resented everyone one who wasn't her. This dinner would be far better if it was only the two of them using their fingers instead of silverware, licking and nibbling and feasting on food and each other. So he wants to get some buttery artichokes
1: up in there. But then we flash forward to later on. It's night time and Jess is peckish. She, these buttery artichokes clearly weren't filling enough because she wants a little midnight snack. And because she is obviously a servant, she's like, I know my way around a posh gaff. I can find the kitchen. It'll be fine. Whereas obviously most like ladies probably couldn't just find the kitchen. house they'd have to wake up their maid to find the kitchen for them and so she's there kind of looking in the larder
0: and then who
1: turns up obviously noel turns up for his own midnight snack
0: and he's like well cook told me there'd be a meat pie down here for me and she was like oh i was just i was just hungry so of course when you're hungry and you want meat pies and honey what do you do you you bang you have sex absolutely bang Bang in the larder.
1: And it's really, it's really hot because obviously they're doing a little bit more of like, they're touching each other and she's like, I want, do you want me to be quiet? Do you want me to talk? And she's like, I want you to talk. So he's like saying all these like sexy things. And then one thing which is really, again, it comes back to this kind of submission thing is that she wants to be the person in control. He wants to be the person being told what to do. The phrase that it uses, which I was like, oh, that is so well put is, she'd done her best in life to be in control, but she'd been born too poor and a female. The world gave her no power and she had not realised until now, until him, how much she hungered for. And like, that's it. Like, why wouldn't she want to command a duke? Like,
0: in what other instance is she getting to do that? Completely. So she does command him and she says, taste me. And he groans, says, yes, Jess. I will lick your pussy, And she's
1: like, we can go back to bed. And he's like, too far for a starving man. (sighs) And so she's on the table and she's in her nightgown and he's touching himself. And he's like, am I wrong, Jess? Am I wrong to touch myself when I think of you? And she's like, you are wrong. On your knees and perform your penance.
0: And he says, let me see your beautiful cunt. Let me see you. And I love it when they use cunt to mean vagina. I do, because that's what it is. And it's just that we've been told that it's the worst world in the whole entire English language. But it's not. It's just a synonym for a vagina. And why a is wrong? Because men tells us they're wrong. Absolutely. He's doing it. He's down there. Oh, damn, she
1: moaned as his tongue slipped between her folds in one long, slick stroke. Her moan rose again as he swirled his tongue around her clitoris, then dipped back down again to slide through her inner lips. When he lapped at her entrance, she thought for certain she'd lose her mind, but then he stroked a finger up into her and she knew that any chance she had of retaining her sanity was gone.
0: It says, honey, he growled, you taste of honey. She's like, oh, it's the soap. He's like, it's not perfume soap, it's you. Like sweet, fragrant honey warmed by the sun to coat my tongue, I want to swallow all of you. Right, okay, no vagina smell like honey. It's a lovely thing to say what a what a kind lie to
1: tell but you are lying sir and it's not it's not and it's unrealistic it's unrealistic to expect that from someone like it's it tastes and smells like a vagina and that's
0: good that's what it should taste and smell like and then we eventually get to the P&V he's like my cock you want me to fuck you with my cock and she's like yes fuck me and she says how shall I do it Jess I could give you my cock slow and gentle or hard and rough she says slow and gentle at first then hard and rough rough as you dare and then she's like although I can't risk being pregnant and he's like gotcha babe so he comes on her stomach it's so chivalrous noble (laughs) even noble (laughs) that he doesn't pump it in her everyone comes and he's like did i please you and she's like oh i ascended to another level of excellence she's a bit like oh so how often do you do this and he's like what fuck woman in my larder (laughs) and she's like no 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 be this sort of act submissively with your lovers and he's like never you're the first so the next day everyone gets up it seems like some weird shit has gone down this night not just for the duke and Jess no one seems to have no, had a good uh, night Cameron sleep. didn't sleep well because he was next to lady what's her face um Faris we don't know what she was doing, but it sounded like she was like moving furniture around or something. Rowan and Curtis come down and they are looking at each other sheepishly and one of them won't go and sit next to the other one. They're like sort of sitting at separate sides of the table, which is odd. And Noel's just there like, bacon sex and bacon and sex. <laughs> bacon and sex, I'm a duke. So it seems like everyone's just like had a
1: weird time. And then they're like, cool, we're going to need to go to the farm soon. And she's written ahead and told her sister, and this shows how small the village is, told her sister to tell everyone, everyone in the village, that when they see her, to pretend they don't know her.
0: That's the plan. (laughs) They eventually go to the farm. They have some mead. Everyone has a cracking time at the farm. Fucking love it. They're like, yes and ho, we'll invest. So they crack out more mead and more honey cake. And Jess is a bit like, oh, I feel weird because I'm gonna have to tell Noel, but like I feel weird that we've
1: smashed it because... Everyone's gonna invest, and that's amazing, but I have got here through lying, and that makes me sad.
0: And then they're like, Should we have one last bang at midnight? And they're like, Yes, let's have one last bang at midnight. So she does. She literally, it's close to midnight, she comes through the passageway. This is the big boy,
1: and this is again, it's sexy. It's all sexy because she arrives, and I mean, the first thing that happens as well kind of really quite quickly is that she's still wearing her like nightgown and they get him all naked so again that's like a power dynamic of like him being
0: vulnerable and they kiss he was like i wanted to carry you off into the field and fuck you beneath the sun and he was like tell me what you want me to do and she's like you so eventually she's like get your cock out i does and he's like kind of touching it but not she's like go and sit down in that chair over there and he's like cool so he sits down she Gives him head. It's quite hot for giving head. Well, because as well, she keeps
1: being like, touch yourself and like, get really close. And then I want you to stop. And then every time you think you're going to come, I need you to stop. That's really fit. That's really, really hot. And then she, she kneels down. She's going to give him head and she's like, hold the armrests of the chair. So he's obviously like, not
0: restrained, but in a limited position. So she's giving him head. She's like, oh it's cool, you can come in my mouth and he does. She takes it all and he's very impressed. He's like, damn she's swallowed. So then he's like oh it's my turn. He is like, I want to fuck you again but first I want you to come to my tongue. Do you want that? She's like, I want that. I want you. So he goes down on her again. He's like, my beautiful Jess, you're incredibly wet. I don't know how much of a turn on that is being told how wet you are.
1: I feel like it's something that people people think he's really sexy but i'm like surely this should be baseline like surely this should be the least we expect so he's like he's fingering her and then he's eating her out and that's again really hot we're not gonna read it read it yourselves go by the time he brought her to another orgasm his cock was as hard as if he hadn't had release in months not minutes so now obviously he's ready to go again i wonder how often that actually happens for men i don't know and i suppose at least he is like he's keeping her occupied while we wait do you know what i mean like there's like something to be getting on with while we're waiting for him to be ready again. And then he lies down and she like climbs on top of him and he's like, ride me, my lady. And that's really hot. I think they
0: probably come together. That's really hot. No, because he has to, she comes and then he has to like push her off because she's on top. So he can like come on her back essentially or like come on her stomach again because there's always just a handy towel to wipe <laughs> scoop it away take it away and so that's obviously I again as as we never do when they're
1: actually sexy we did not do that justice but then they're having this kind of again they're having a bit more banter he's telling her about like all the crazy times he's had at this house getting again quite vulnerable sort of saying like everyone lies to me everyone just wants to climb me use me as social climbing these lads are the only friends I have but everyone else is shit to me basically and he's like I don't want you to go to the continent I want you to stay and she gets up and runs away which i don't think is what he wanted.
0: so they are all going back to london the next day and of course they're in the same carriage with two other people and it's really awkward and jess just happens to be the last one who's dropped off. so she's given him like a fake address which is a couple doors down from her real address. the whole carriage ride back she's like i'm gonna tell him i'm gonna do it. wakes it's the two of us because if i'm last i can tell him it'll all be good. as they pull up to her fake front door they see the carriage of lady catherton. And she's like, shit, she panics because Lady Catherine's getting out. And of course, Jess should be in the house when Lady Catherine arrives. She can't say anything except for, cool, thank you, bye, and like has to run out. Yeah, and he's he's like, can we, can I
1: see you, can I? And she's like, no, no, this is, this has to be over. Bye, I'm going gub- 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 like disappears.
0: And she runs up the back passage and is like, oh, Lady Catherine's like, oh, I've been screaming, where were you? And you look so red in the face. And she's like, oh, I was just doing my morning exercises. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. And she's like, why are you wearing my dress? And she's like, oh, all my stuff got torn. So I had to wear your clothes. And she's like, get out all my sweaty clothes and come bring me my correspondence. They're going through the correspondence. And there's an invitation to the Earl of Ashford's Ball, which she knows Noel is going to. And she's like, oh, I'm coming down. I've got the gripe. And Lady Catherine's like, I pay you. You are coming to this ball with me.
1: (laughs) and ultimately what happens is we get a big like showdown at the ball so she's there with Lady Catherine and she bumps into the duke and has to sort of like she's gone to get Lady Catherine like some food and she has to pretend it's her food and like eats it and it's weird and then Lady Catherine comes over and is like what the fuck are you doing talking to this duke where's my food and the duke's like what the fuck are you talking about this is Lady Whitfield she's a big financial widow and all the other people from the bazaar are there because they've all come to the party together and they're like oh Lady Whitfield and she's like Ugh. and Lady Catherine's like no, this is Jessica McGale, who is my companion. And obviously Noel's like, ah, She's the soap bitch. She's the soap girl,
0: and he fully saves her ass, and she doesn't deserve it. No, she doesn't. But he's a nice gent, and he's like, ah, oh, got you all. I got this commoner who had a failing soap factory to dress up as a gentrywoman for the bizarre, but to keep things spicy. You were all tricked. One of my crazy pranks, like
1: clever me. You've been punked. Exactly. Where's I Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> You've all been punked. <laughs> and then he's like, ah, oh, my my joke was great. Bye now. And and she goes after him and he's like nah hon like i don't know who you are but i don't like this
0: so obviously lady Catherine fires jess because she's like well, who are you employed by me or the duke jess has to go back to wiltshire the duke is well sad so he goes on just like bender after bender after bender to try and drown his sorrows one day when she's back at home jess gets a letter from london and it's from daly's emporium saying oh people want your soap after that massive outcry at Earl of Ashford's ball. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of like all publicity is good publicity thing. It becomes,
1: it's obviously in the society papers and then suddenly everyone wants the soap. So she goes to Mr. Daily Shop and he says that he will give them some of the capital to make the repairs. All the other investors pull out apart from Lady Faris because she's a hon and we love her and she's like, why would you still want to be my pal after what I did? And Lady Farris says, English society is an ancient crumbling castle that desperately needs levelling and you are the incendiary device. So it's a little bit like we had in the last Mills and Boom, which is like the aristocracy needs other people to diversify it in order to survive, essentially. And Lady Faris is like, I don't enjoy being deceived, but I think you're a bit of a legend and I'm going to give you some money. So the McGails are doing well. The soap is back up and running. We're having a nice time. Noel is very sad and all his friends are like, if
0: you're sad, go and see her. McCameron sort of says to him, look, what else was she meant to do? She's trying to keep her family together, keep her business afloat. If it were me, I'd be doing exactly the same thing as her. I would be trying any sort of method. She didn't do it to hurt you. She did it to keep her family together, which are two different things. Like You are not involved in her reasoning behind this, which I think is very important. There's a scene where Jess, she's doing her ablutions, she goes and says sorry to Noel and he's like, really kind of, what I imagine, Beast is like and Beauty and the Beast, like he's in the shadows, not saying anything, just hearing her words and she's like, I'm sorry. And then McCameron's like, snap out of it. Then he goes and finds her. Then he goes and finds
1: her and she's like, obviously I lied and that's bad, but everything between us was all true. Every moment we had together, I gave you my genuine self. Being with you brought me a happiness I've never known, I'll never know again and I don't regret knowing you, but I regret that I hurt you. And she's like, oh sorry, like, I've taken up enough of your time you've given me enough time i should leave you then
0: they live for happily ever after
1: <laughs> and basically they live happily ever after as is as is what tends to happen in these books
0: so hannah i'm gonna ask the big question how wet did you get were you like the ocean how wet did you get were you drier than the desert how wet did you get did this book
1: make you come I'm legit gonna give this like an eight to 8.5 because it was spicy and it was really fun because I think, again, the last mills and boone that we did was quite a revelation for us in that there was sex in it at all that was enough this was like taking it to a whole new level really sexy because i think the last one in a way was more like rompy and silly and fun and this was just like a solid gold story with some really good sex scenes loved it
0: i feel like the first one was more in the georgette hayer style of romance but also had the modern day sex element. Whereas with this one, And considering it's based on an 80s film and it's Regency, it still feels very fresh to read. It doesn't feel like you're written like a
1: book. It felt very modern. The whole thing felt very modern. And I think that was part of the fun because obviously one of the things that we liked about the other one, which was like silly and fun, was the like, oh, what is the Duke possibly thinking? Oh, what are we going to do? Whereas in this, it was just, I think it was like maybe like a better story.
0: Yeah, I think it was a better story. So I guess we uh, will probably move on to our interview. With the bloody author. Who do we think we are getting to talk? Who do we to think we are fancy? So, as promised previously, we are currently interviewing the author of Would I Lie to a Duke, Eva Lee. How are you, Eva? How's it going out in California?
2: It, yes, I am in California. It's a little peculiar right now because we're in an apocalyptic state of everything being on fire.
0: Oh, are you? But in California, is that actual fire? Is that just COVID? No, the entire
2: west coast of the United States is basically on fire fire right now like honestly on fire.
1: Is this the thing that was caused by a gender reveal party or is fake, Is that fake news? There
2: was one. I mean, there are, there are fires all throughout Washington, Oregon and California and one of them was indeed started by a gender reveal party and there's literally every aspect of that I hate. Who's having who's having gender reveal parties during COVID?
0: The only people I can think of that helps is the bakers. You know, you've got to keep your small businesses going. They've got to keep the pink and blue dye <laughs> industries going. How are we going to sell plastic baby booties?
1: <laughs> Basically every episode that we've recorded this podcast, we're like, how are you? The world's terrible. So that's kind of the general answer for um, everything is awful. But how are you personally? I'm
2: personally fine. The The funny thing about this pandemic is I've been writing full time for years now and I don't leave my house or talk to anybody other than my husband and the cats. So it's like my life is not much different, which is strange, but there are there are major differences in terms of like, you know, I can't go to a coffee house. I obviously can't see my friends. All of the conferences have been canceled. So it's like, and the the idea of like, when we're all going to see each other in person again is, is like, who knows? So there's, there is this strange, like the, my day-to-day life isn't that altered, but there's just a huge amount of anxiety kind of boiling underneath the surface. I don't have kids, so I don't have to educate also in addition to working, which I know is a a massive stress.
0: It's been the thing that all of my friends have been so grateful for is that we don't have children right now because (laughs) (laughs) trying to teach children whilst working because, of course, most of it has fallen to the women when they're at home to not only work full-time, teach the children, and keep the household running. We're just sitting there with a glass of wine at 6pm on Zoom going... I'm so glad we don't have kids right now
1: and i think as well because just the concept of like i can barely keep myself from like crying on a daily basis so if i had to like hold it together for some kids i think i'd really be struggling but there is no better way during a pandemic and during all this massive anxiety it's like let's get a time machine go back to the regency period have some spicy times with a duke that is what we're here to talk about
0: and so i think our first question is what is it about the because you this isn't your first dalliance in the regency era. You mostly write most of your romance in Regency, don't you? And um, what is it about the Regency era that inspires you?
2: I have written, Ava Lee is not my first pen name. My first pen name was was Zoe Archer. And so I, w- I wrote across many different historical time periods. And I've done like High Adventure in the Victorian era and some romantic suspense, also Victorian and some 18th century. So I've kind of been all over. But um, I went to Regency because I've also, um, I think like all of us sort of have uh, gravitated toward it because initially Austin was our introduction. To this time period, and I uh, I did some academic work in that time period and stuff like that. And I mean, I like I cut my teeth in historical romance, reading a lot of Regency romances by like Judith McNaught and Mary Jo Putney. And so um, I really sort of uh, imprinted on that era as far as like what romance, you know. This and I really like the kind of tension between the this culture, which is getting very more rigid um, in terms of its rules and regulations, that we see the apotheosis. Of it in the Victorian time period. But there's still a little wildness from the 18th century left. So you kind of get this little, this kind of tension. And it's also really cool because like the Industrial Revolution is starting. There's people, you don't necessarily have to be landed gentry in order to kind of advance yourself. So I like all of these sort of interplays between these, like this tension, because I think it creates a lot of dramatic places to put romance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know more about our history than we do from the sounds of it. I couldn't tell you anything about the Regency period and we have to study all of our kings and queens. Um, There's been a lot of times reading these books that we've kind
1: of Googled. Like I was just Googling (laughs) who the Prime Minister was during that time before. And I was like, you know
0: this, I don't know this stuff. There's one thing we wanted to ask, which is particularly regards to the language that they use in the Regency time. And like how much research do you have to do into that? Because we were just like, oh, did they use pussy back in the 80s? 18th century. Is that a term? Oh yeah. Yeah, They did in so many ways. They used it verbally
2: and in other ways, too. <laughs> the, like, that kind of language, that kind of, like, um, I guess I've heard it referred to as, like, Anglo-Saxon language, all those four-letter words and things like that, those were in use. We have very early records of people utilizing them, centuries even before the Regency period. But there are, um, so when I get people, uh, they, they weren't shown, they didn't show up in all printed material, but they did show up. Um, so I get I get some pushback sometimes from readers, like, how dare they use this language? I'm like, they Use this language. We we know this is to be true, and like for certain words, I have to go online to etymology resources just to make sure that a phrase or a word, if it sounds kind of modern, uh, I have to make sure. Like the word "sexy," that's a that's a that's not a 19th century term, so you absolutely can't use. I try to avoid that as much as I can. But but we you know we also know things like when I've heard when I've received pushback um, about certain kinds of the sexual dynamics, like you know kink and things like that. It's like like, oh, oh, my sweet summer child, you have no idea. There was there was a very famous uh, house of prostitution in the 18th century on Charlotte Street in London. And it was run by a woman named Teresa Berkeley. And they specialized in uh, flogging and flagellation and caning. And she even invented something called the Berkeley horse, I believe, which was like a piece of furniture that Um, people could be could be draped on and and hit so it's like this happened like you know so saying that these kinds of things like it's it's all Mr. Darcy it's like well I think Mr. Darcy might have gotten his 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 buttocks whipped about maybe (laughs) I don't know
1: possible I mean I personally feel like I think Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy is definitely a sub if we're gonna, that's, that's not what we're talking about, but he definitely is. And how faithful to that research that you do are you kind of, do you take a bit of artistic license or do you try and stick quite closely to the research?
2: Well, I try to, a little of both. I try to, um, I know people that like, I, I try to stick to it as much as I possibly can, but at the same time I am writing fiction and um so i try to use certain kinds of uh artistic license in those things and, and also there's a lot of times people say like well women didn't do this or there was in terms of like representation as a uh somebody who's lgbtqia or a person of color or diff- you know um uh, disabled or something like that it's like we know that their narratives have been excluded so just because you haven't read about it doesn't mean it wasn't there. The silencing and repression and suppression of these voices is is there. So I think we can say, well, just because you haven't seen it on a BBC adaptation or you haven't read about it in in um, you know North and South or something like that, like it really you know you don't know.
0: No, sexuality wasn't just developed after 1945. It didn't come over after the war. Right, like <laughs> with right. gays right. existed in like every sort of spectrums existed. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um obviously you said you've written
1: kind of other time periods as well. Would is there any other time period that you'd really like to do like a sexy romance about if we were going outside Regency.
2: Um, I would love the Georgian period. I love the 18th century. It's it's one of my favorite time periods because it's really on the cusp between sort of the old world and the new, and there's this kind of raucousness that I really enjoyed. And I've studied a, 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 quite a bit of literature from that time period, and so I really like. And it was a it was a wilder era than the 19th century, and I really like that. On top of which, I think the clothes are super sexy, so I love to. Uh, yes,
0: I've just been watching harlots and it's just about here isn't it it's just just above the nipple line yeah
2: exactly and then you know you've got the men in their tall boots and their their coats and their i mean you know and the tricorns and all that other stuff i think it's it's super hot
0: out of the sexy costumes we're going more into the book now my big question is because this is a series of um the union of the rakes who we absolutely loved from the first sort of breakfast club initiation into who's who and from reading this i think we both have have our favorites on who the, who we would go out with of the Union of the Rakes but who would who would you date out of the five?
2: I probably have the most in common with Sebastian but because um, I'm'm I'm, I'm kind of no I am I'm bookish and nerdy so um, I think I would get along well with that uh, with uh, that personality I really um, you know but I really enjoyed uh, Noel, the Duke of Rotherby, Quite a lot. And then there's McCameron who's coming up.
0: McCameron is our favorite. <laughs> I'm so excited for McCameron. I am so excited
2: for that one. It's gonna be hot friends. I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you that right now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. Excellent. Because McCam- I feel like McCameron deserves it
0: yeah he deserves a nice time he's been heartbroken he needs he has he has and he he needs someone to look he needs someone to take good care of him and if it's not going to be me or Hannah no and you know the heroine is older
2: than he is
0: so
1: um,
2: that's, that's going to be fun too
1: and then kind of going off from the union of rakes we have you may not be able to tell us this it may have to get cut because it might be spoilery are we going to get a Curtis and Rowe story of their own
2: okay so this is what happens with Curtis and Rowe. they get a happily ever after it's on the page you see it I felt that because I don't identify as LGBTQIA, that it was not really my story to tell. So um, to tell them from a point, like as a point of view character. So I felt like I would love to see, um, we have some really great authors who are writing LGBTQIA historical romance and I want to see more of that. And I felt like it it wouldn't be appropriate for me personally to write that story. So uh, that is to say like to make them front and center are like the main characters of this thing. So, but I do make sure that they get their HEA and I do make sure that they have the joy and happiness because it's it's not a struggle it's not a struggle story. It's it's about love and joy and happiness for everybody.
1: Oh,
0: yay! Oh, I'm really excited. I think that's the best possible answer you could have given. And one thing we do on our podcast and our socials is we like to cast... Like, If it was going to be a film, we like to cast the leads. They can be from any time period. They can be dead. They can be alive. They can be anyone you want. Who would you cast as your Noel and your Jess?
2: So um, I've been tweeting a lot about this. And I even before Sanditon came out, I had earmarked Theo James... For Noel. So yeah, so he had always been the guy that I had in mind, just somebody who was just like, God damn it, why is he so handsome? It's 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 aggravating how attractive he is. So I kind of, I wanted to go with, uh, I, I felt like he would be a good um, fit for that. Although somebody did mention a reader the other day that they, they saw Henry Cavill, who I personally, I personally cast him as uh, Curtis. And Roe would was Killian uh, Murphy with the you know the cheekbones and stuff like that. And for Jess, um, I thought of Brie Larson who plays um, Carol Danvers, aka Captain America. I'm not Captain Captain Marvel. So uh, she was my choice because I really liked how sort of like she she looked like she didn't take anybody's bullshit.
0: No, I don't think she does. From the Marvel Universe, then fans aren't nice a lot of the time because. You've got to be pretty tough. You've got to you've gotta be pretty, pretty hard to uh to deal with that.
1: Um and then one of the other questions we wanted to ask is it's It may well be a question that you've been asked a lot. And it's something that personally, I'm just going to go on my soapbox for a moment. I know that it is very problematic to ask female identifying writers how much of it is from their real life. Like women can't imagine things. Um, We did want to know if there were any sort of elements of Noel or Jess that you had taken from reality, if you identify particularly with one of the characters or if it is completely fictitious.
2: Well, I think a lot of times with my heroines, like it's really important to me that they have a lot of agency and strength and, uh, faith and ability in their own selves and in their abilities. And in a lot of ways, that is wish fulfillment for me. So um, I like to sort of embody traits in my heroines that I would like in myself, because these books have often been about sort of celebrating the heroine and and, um, who she is and what she can bring to a relationship, even if she has growth, and she needs to sort of overcome fear. That's always been something, you know, in terms of defining, well, what's courage, it's not the absence of fear, it's being afraid and then doing it anyway. So um, that's sort of quality is something that I would love to embody in myself as much as I possibly could so I I think in in that regard I sort of take my own wish fulfillment and sort of like you know put it out onto the page
0: well we love it <laughs> we love Jess she was absolutely incredible to read about she was just so it was nice to see someone so smart and intelligent and who knows what she wants and is also in charge of a duke which you you, you traditionally, quote unquote, you expect it to be the other way around. But the way that uh, Rotherby enjoyed being submissive was we found that really hot, to be honest.
2: Nice. Yeah, I, I really like power inversion. It really is something that I like to work with. And um, I actually have, um, there's an anthology that'll be coming out, which is me and four other historical romance authors writing about dukes hot dukes for mine that that narrative it's called duke i'd
1: like to f <laughs> i'm gonna write this down because i feel like this might have to be a later episode of the podcast because we love a duke on this podcast
2: so it, it's going to be me and sierra simone and adriana herrera and joanna shoop who wrote like the prince of broadway and stuff like that and nicola davidson and we're all exploring like these sexy dukes um, and in mine, the, the heroine is an older, is a governess who's about 30 years old. And the Duke is 21, uh, has just inherited the Dukedom and um is relatively sexually inexperienced and the story is called an education and pleasure and you can kind of infer from that title what sort of happens. And so I love to explore power dynamics and in this instance I was ta- I was taking like this really powerful like the, one of the, the most one of the most powerful people in England and then sort of putting him in this kind of position where it's not that he was being dominated, but it was that he he's in this other kind of situation where he's he's learning. and so for me, power inversion is a really fun thing to explore and I, I i find there's a lot of dramatic and romantic tension in that space
0: yeah because i think we've read on this podcast uh, a lot of books which shows submission dominance and submission in a bad light we've recently covered the claiming of sleeping beauty by anne rice oh wow which, yeah <laughs> we were a wow. bit like that's yeah, going back we, we were exhausted reading it. We were just like, "Oh God, we can't do more of a woman just confused about her sexuality, but enjoying it." But also, in one of our future episodes, we're covering the story of O, which is a sort of French nineteen fifties. The story of uh, Sleeping Beauty. So for us, it's really refreshing to read stories of women who enjoy their sexuality and are happy to explore it. So I just want to say thank you for that, really, for showing women that we can enjoy sex.
2: Well, I try to make my books really sex positive. And I've even had, I've had a book even, uh, Dare to Love a Duke, where the heroine is a former sex worker. And at no point does she feel shame for her work. And the hero at no point shames her, He's kind of taken it back, but he's not like, you're disgusting. He He's just like, oh, okay, that's something I have to take into consideration. And then they kind of move forward from that.
0: Another question just sort of weirdly off the back of this is would you say that a duke is the sexiest position in the aristocracy because there are so many sexy duke books but very rarely do we get a sexy marquess or a sexy baron
2: i know you know i have i've written earls and marquesses and um i also have had uh i'm i'm just about to write a series uh called the last chance scoundrels and it's all about like second sons so um they're not going to have any title i think think that it's kind of like, a Duke is a hyperbolic title, you know, none more, like, there's an, like, you, we don't have a lot of sexy archbishops. Um, but, um, but, you know, next to the king, it's the Duke, you know, so, or at least it was. And I think it's just kind of like, I thought about this a lot in terms of what, you know, why Dukes, why billionaires, and it's like, I, I've i been thinking a lot about how close a lot of women especially are to poverty, like, it doesn't take much for us, an illness, uh, a child, um, some kind of reversal of circumstance where we are suddenly completely impoverished. We have no money, we have nothing. So it's this way of sort of embodying ultimate security, because we live in a consumerist capitalist society. I'm sorry, I'm getting all like socialist on
1: you. But like, please, please, we love socialism on this podcast. So yeah, get as political as you want to get, because we are here for it.
2: Cool. So you know, because we live in a capitalist society, which ultimately benefits... The you know the the upper echelons the exploitation because we're just mark we're either markets or we're producer we're producing these things so women and especially women of color but women their their work is always undervalued and we're always underpaid and so it's not hard for a woman to lose everything so financial security unfortunately is one of the ways in which we feel comfortable which which is a shame because what we you know we like having a supportive partner regardless of their gender or their sexuality somebody who's there for us somebody you know like that's the most important thing is to be loved and to be seen not money but unfortunately this is kind of like the way it, it's sort of embodied is in this financial security which is ultimately ironic because I mean the aristocracy declined and kind of like who you know like it's it's their figureheads now and they lease their homes out to you know the national trust and things like that so it's like they're not real but at the time this was you know they were still the uh, like the acme of power
1: and as you say un- kind of unfortunately financial Social security is a big turn on. So it makes them sexy. Right.
2: It is. Well, it's, it's hard to really get your rocks off if you're thinking about the rent.
1: And we also wanted to know kind of how writing the sex scenes goes. Like, do you find yourself getting a little bit flushed and hot under the college you find yourself getting a little bit giggly while you're doing it kind of what is that experience like
2: (laughs) well in in um happier times when we could actually socialize I made sure and I I I would write in coffee houses but I've never I always take the sex scenes I always write them at home um because I don't want anybody taking a you know a gander a child or something like that just in case I just don't want you know there was like this coffee house used to go to the children's play area was like right next to where I would write I'm like okay this isn't this is not happening I know the children are the outcome of sex but they don't lead me (laughs) yeah so um so you know I've been writing for a long time now I I think this is probably I'm up where I'm getting close to like my 30th book and I've written a, a lot of sex scenes and so you know there's a certain amount of like titillation I think who was it um who wrote the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn?
1: Henry James? No, it, it. Oh, Henry Miller. Henry. So- I feel like it was a Henry. Yeah, yeah.
2: He he said something like, if he's de- if he doesn't have an erection while he's writing a sex scene, then like he's doing something wrong. So you kind of need to be able to kind of get your own, you know. Uh, there's a certain amount of titillation because, but you're also thinking from a craft point of view. So um, you know, you don't write with one hand; they're both on the keyboard. <laughs>
1: And also because otherwise I think it would become really quickly obvious to whoever, your editor or whatever, it would become very quickly obvious like what you were into if you were like just writing the same, like every book seems to go very similar. I feel like we've... Uh... Right, yeah, exactly. Why is it always start out this way
2: and then that way and then they finish up with, you know, um, a sticky toffee pudding?
1: But we kind of have one final question, which is um, the whole thing with this podcast is we read sexy books. That's what we do. And we try to read a really wide range. Of them and trying to kind of work out like books that people had their like sexual awakenings to, books that are just kind of very sexy. And we are wondering if you have a particular like sexy book recommendation, one that's really stuck with you, or one you've read recently, it doesn't have to be a Mills and Boone, it's any book that you remember finding especially sexy.
2: There's so many out there. I, you know, I really like um, Talia Hibbert's work. And she she, she does uh, sexy talk in a very, uh, in in a very, like, sort of evocative way. So the way in which uh, I think I read like, uh, the princess trap, I think, and that that one had a really great, sexy, uh, sort of dominating hero who did uh, who you know he had like dirty talk and that i think that would really well so she i think in all of her books though she 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 really excels at that i mean as well as other things they're all great the, from top to bottom they're good but that that component in particular she's very good
1: at because i think it can be hard to get it right sometimes can't it without it being a little bit cringy
2: well you know it's that method it's kind of like method acting because it's like would this character actually say this thing you know how like in like when you're watching porn it's like oh i I'm a, you know, I'm a mild mannered pipe fitter. And then all of a sudden, when the sex starts happening, then this whole like verbiage and discourse of porn kind of comes out of the person's mouth. And it doesn't feel it, it, it doesn't feel authentic. And that's why it's less arousing. So I think like when you if you can kind of contextualize it within what the character would say and do and in the way that they would say and do it I think that it makes it hotter so when you have a, a shy bookish scholar like Sebastian who suddenly can use you know who's got this this kind of hidden core of dirtiness that's hot in my estimation
1: well thank you very much for your time we really appreciate you kind of taking some time out of your morning to have a chat with us we really really enjoyed the I I'm sure people like, we're not just saying that because you're here. Like, we genuinely really, really enjoyed the book. And I I think it was just fun because we were, one of the things we were saying is that it just felt so modern, considering it's like Regency period based on an 80s film. But as kind of feminist readers in 2020, like it was still really sexy, hit all the like right kind of political marks. It was very good.
2: Well, I do, thank you. And I I do feel that like as a historical romance author, we need to start taking, especially somebody from my perspective and how I identify and stuff like that. It's really important to start taking into consideration a lot of the, and take apart a lot of the mythology that we have, but still make it fantastic and romantic and wish fulfilling, but also examine some of these more problematic aspects of it. And so that's what I... I'm trying, at least, to kind of go in that direction. It's
0: great. You can definitely tell it's a really, really good read. We loved every minute of it. Thank you so
1: much. And we're really looking forward to finding out what happens
2: next. Uh, McCameron's book is kind of uh, inspired by Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
1: <gasps> oh my God, no way. Yeah, and
2: there's also a film from the 80s called The Sure Thing with John Cusack. And um, it's similar, it's kind of got, it's like a road trip story. So it's it's kind of both of those things. There's the, there's the, the grumpy one and the sunshine one, or, you know, kind of like the free, the free spirited one. And then the one who's kind
1: of like, you know. I'm so excited. <laughs> Amazing well thank you so so much for your time we really really appreciate it so if you've got any other books that you want to hear us talk about if you've got any other sexy mills and boone any other just generally sexy books you think we should be reading um or if you enjoyed this episode or if you've read this book or you have anything at all you ever want to say to us you can find us on twitter at lit on instagram at literally facebook if you just search it you'll find it and it's literally at gmail.com
0: please tweet us instagram please don't forget to rate review and subscribe that's how we know that you like it the more followers we get the more subscribers we get the more reviews we get every little penny helps be good stay in groups of six stay clean buy this
1: book because it's fun
0: don't go out don't go out and get COVID. buy this book and stay at home stay at home Uh, remember you can download it off of anywhere you download your books onto your kindle and you'll be able to purchase it in stores from thursday the 17th of september bye bye a big
1: thank you to bobby bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything to bethany southworth for our jingle and the other incidental music is from kevin mcleod of incompetech the king of royalty-free jams and savior of media reduce students the world over